everybody. Quick thanks to all of our sponsors, Electrovoice for providing the mics that we use, SK Coffee for providing the coffee that we drink, and Oleo for providing the CBD oil that we'd love. <laughs> or something like that. Anyway, you can check it all out, electrovoice.com, skcoffee.org, and oleolife.com. Really cool stuff. This has been Advertisements by Pat. <laughs> all right. <laughs> what up, everybody? Good morning. It's the end of January. It's cold. I don't it's know. It's our second episode of the year. Second episode of the year. Who was our first guest? Unlimited Gravity. Yep, so Ronnie. Go listen to that if you missed it, but not mm-hmm. yet. This first. And <laughs> winter is starting to get to me. It's gray and it's gloomy. It's snowy. I hate my life, et cetera, et cetera. Wow, okay. But, we got some seasonal affective over here. Okay, guys, seasonal affective is real. If you suffer from seasonal affective, go walk around the block. Yep. Are you listening to me, Pat? I am. Go walk around the block, <laughs> take some 5-HTP before bed, drink some magnesium, mm-hmm. take some supplements. Yep. And then... Um, Eat some food. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Yeah, I need yeah. to do that. That's why I think that's why I'm so cranky today. I haven't eaten yet. And it's already like one in the afternoon. I have many theories as to your crankiness, but you know, we'll yeah. never know. We'll never know. Um, it's cool. So to uncranky you though, I know you didn't see this because you're Pat and you never go on social media. It's so busy. <laughs> but the Red Hot Chili Peppers just announced that they're going to have a two day in a row show on the Pyramids of Giza. They're playing two days straight in a row. Indeed. Is that what is... That's what excited you from what I just said? That's pretty cool, though. I'm excited. (laughs) They're playing at the pyramids. Whoa, twice in a row. (laughs) (laughs) For two days straight? That's hilarious. I believe so. Crazy. That's awesome. I can't afford that ticket. Yeah, I wonder how much it costs. Probably a million dollars. One million? Is that what you bet? That's my that's my guess. One million dollars. Okay, it's it's March fifteenth, everyone. If you have if you we're if you thinking of going to, to Fire Festival and you didn't get a chance, here you go. Go to the pyramids and see RHCP instead. Yeah. I am really curious, though, about how much this costs. How much do you think, Pat? One million dollars. One million dollars. Hmm? I'm, I'm trying to check it out. Uh, tickets go on sale January 18th. Okay, so it's, 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 it's on, on sale. sale. Let's see. Okay, it's bringing me to this like uh, website that's in Arabic. Is so it in papyrus? Crazy. Holy shit! <laughs> Am I right? What did you guess? One million dollars. One million dollars. That's what you guessed for yeah. for a ticket. Yeah. Okay. That's a serious. So guess. did you want to make an actual guess? Uh, I'd say let's do fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand dollars for one ticket. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna have to do a little conversion here because it looks like it's in their currency, Egyptian, Egyptian currency. pounds. So let's see. Okay, so okay, so the out. tickets for general admission are two thousand four hundred Egyptian pounds, and how and much for is... VIP, which is sold out already? Mm-hmm. Four thousand six hundred Egyptian pounds. So let's see. So what's 4, that? Four thousand six hundred Egyptian pounds. Is $256.80. Really? Yes, for VIP. Dang. And then general admission is $133.98. Why did I think so it would be So you guys can get your asses dollars. to Egypt. 
You can go to a pretty cheap concert at the pyramids yeah, and see red hot chili peppers. Yeah, if you to be in the peppers. neighborhood, <laughs> if you're backpacking on the border, trying to cause trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Or you could go have sex on one of the pyramids because that happened recently. What? Yeah, this guy I from this the, was the like, UK. Okay, so like, I thought it spent all day climbing up there somehow, or no, like waited until. It shut down and everything, and then climbed up there late at night, and then filmed himself having sex with a chick on top of one of the pyramids. Crazy. Yeah, I figured because of like all the security and the travel expenses and the exclusivity on it being such a national, nationally treasured monument, I guess that you want to call it or whatever, I thought it would be way more expensive than that. Yeah, I can't believe that it's that cheap. I can't believe VIP is... Th- less than $300. I feel like that tickets for VIP to see RHCP in Minneapolis would be way more than, would be twice as much as that. If yeah, not more. they are. That's crazy. Wild. And speaking of what I was saying about um, if you missed Fire Festival, you wanted to come to the pyramids instead for a show that's actually happening. Yeah, um, well, did you after, watch the new documentaries? Well, I mean, after all the money that you wasted on Fire Festival, this is pretty affordable. Seriously, I watched half of the Hulu documentary. <laughs> I haven't and, watched it yet. It's on my watch list. Okay. I watched the Netflix one as well, and I watched half of the Hulu one. And they're both interesting, honestly, and they both address different points of the festival that were extremely frigged up. Yep. But the Netflix one is by far more interesting and well done. I felt like the Hulu one was like obviously a cash grab to try to under, you know. Just take advantage <laughs> of the, the trend that it, it was on the net, it was on. Yeah, Netflix. I think we talk yeah. about this with Jesse, actually. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, to undercut Netflix at the last minute before they put out their documentary two days later. And the only real difference besides that they address a few different points is that Hulu got an exclusive interview with Billy McFarlane. Right. Who uh, ran the festival, if you haven't so watched them I didn't yet. even know that there was a Netflix documentary out. I only knew that there was a Hulu one. Oh, yeah. Netflix yeah. has been like bragging that they're going to drop this for a hot minute. And then Hulu mm. said nothing. And then out of nowhere, they dropped their own two yeah. days before the release of the I've Netflix been watching one, which Hulu is kind of interesting. A lot more than Netflix lately, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I've been watching like Bob's Burgers and those types of shows. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, the documentaries were really crazy. The Hulu one is just basically Billy McFarlane sitting in an interview room talking about how it wasn't his fault and then trying to talk about what a good entrepreneur that he is. Oh, that's nice. So it's kind of lackluster in comparison to the Netflix one, but they're both interesting for sure if you haven't watched them yet. Mm -hmm. You want to see a giant clusterfuck, what they call it on the show, an elephant of a clusterfuck. Go watch the Fire Festival documentaries. I'm looking forward to it. I can't believe people ever even bought tickets to that, but it is kind of funny how like the whole world enjoys watching millennials that would pay that much to go to a festival suffer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think for good reason. All right, let's talk about Steve Carell doing another workplace show, sitcom, I guess it is. Mm. Do you know if it's actually coming to fruition? It's like in the process here. It no, made it know. seem like it was when I, just I saw, saw it online. But yeah, I saw it. If you didn't like, see, you guys, Steve Carell is going to star in a Netflix comedy called Trump's Space Force. Or it's just called Space Force. Space Force but it's yeah. based on Trump's Space Force. Yeah. So it's, it's from what I, what I understand, another office environment setting where he really? works for. Space Force, like, like this new branch. Like mockumentary filmed again? Well, I'm, I don't know about that, but it's a workplace environment, like takes place at Space Force. He's hired on as somebody working on the new branch of the 
of the military. So it's just like Get Smart, but space version. Could be. Get Smart know. was a great movie. Anne Hathaway is looking great. Yeah, agreed. She always is, though. Right? She she always is. Yeah. When hasn't she? Well, at the beginning of Princess Diaries. Yeah. Yeah. Am I right? Am I right, ladies? All right. <laughs> Did you ever watch the old original Get Smart show when you were a kid? No, but I know like the catchphrase from it is, missed it by that much. Yep. <laughs> it was awesome. I used to watch that when I was a kid. It's like from the 60s, I want to say. Maybe even the late maybe 50s. Maybe even earlier. Yeah, maybe yeah. earlier. I don't know. It was pretty funny, though, because like his shoe was a phone. It was like a cell phone before cell phones were things. And then, I don't know. There was all sorts of cool things happening. They had Weird Billy gadgets. Crystal as the guy that sits in the tree next to the Washington Monument where you go into the little, like, secret agent area in the Steve Carell version of oh, Get Smart. I thought it I was a great little years. cameo. It's super funny. I have it on DVD, actually. Really can I If we want to watch it. Yeah, you totally can. Do you have That's, a disk drive? <laughs> I have the last year MacBook that they have a, a DVD drive. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, look at you. You can yeah. totally borrow it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did you see this? I just saw this this morning. Chris Brown is arrested in Paris <gasps> for rape charges. What? Yes. What? Yeah. What? F yeah. him. Yeah. We've talked about this on here. We just and talked about this. We just this. talked about him, how he got this great he publishing deal. He just got signed he has all the, to um, MGM. Yeah. And he has all, he keeps all of his Royalties. Rights. Yeah, for publishing. Yeah, all, all, the, of, all the rights. All yeah. the publishing rights. The masters. That's intense. Good. But looks like he won't be releasing many songs soon. Do you think he'll just get out of this one again? Probably. Uh, that's so I, unfortunate. I want, have they released who the victim was yet? Um, they, didn't, they didn't name her. They didn't mm. give out her name, but they just said it was like a 25-year-old woman from some that he met after some show that he had in Paris recently jesus well but yeah in terms of r kelly it's just ridiculous the people that are surrounding him are still just adamant that he's good to go really yeah and even after he was dropped from sony his management went on record to say that rca and tons of other huge labels were very interested in that it was sony's loss if they didn't want to work with him anymore so mm, I, I don't know about it i don't know um, enough about it either I still haven't watched that documentary. Yeah, I haven't it. either. Is it on Hulu or is it on? What it's was it? on it's like Lifetime, a Lifetime, and yeah, I don't know Lifetime. where you watch Lifetime these days. Does anybody know? Yeah, you need TV. You, you need TV. Cable, I guess. Everybody has a television. This is actually kind of an interesting idea. So, obviously, the trend in the last five years has been cord cutting, people getting rid of cable service in favor of Netflix or Hulu or these other a la carte companies. And you can even get Sling, which is like 40 bucks a month for a lot of channels. You can watch sports, you can watch like history, uh, TLC, et cetera, et cetera, AMC. And you get and it lifetime. all lifetime. And Lifetime. So that's what, <laughs> to answer your question, that's probably where you can watch it. But it's $40 versus a lot of cable companies like Comcast around here charges over $100 for like the same thing. And my question is with all of these services, so you pay $10 a month for Hulu, $10 a month for Netflix, 40 for Sling, and then there's HBO, and then there's all these extras and this and that. Is it just going to eventually go 
to be like the same price if you want everything that cable companies already offer? I don't know. That's a really hard thing to fathom. And there's just so many possibilities of like companies buying out other companies. I foresee that Google just buys them all. And then we just all pay Google all our money every month and they buy Amazon too. And then we just, all we have is Google. Right. We'll call it God (laughs) goal. That's pretty funny. But anyway, yeah. Or Amazon. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm saying though? Because if they start teaming up, then they can just be like, oh, we're going to raise our rates. Our Netflix is going to go up to like $20 a month because it's so popular and they have good content. Because exactly. they have to rate, they have to pay for their content fees that they're paying, you know, their royalties and that they're paying out to all of these movie houses or television networks. And then cable companies have internet and they can adjust their internet rates. So you're paying for internet and you're paying for all of these a la carte services, streaming services. In the end, aren't you just basically paying the same price you paid for cable? Well, if you are using all of those streaming services, but I mean, at this point, I guess we have to ask right now, what interest is it, like, in what interest is it for them to remain separate entities? Right. And I think right now it's that they offer different things. Yeah. Um, but yet still some of the same things. Mm-hmm. So people are getting a lot of the same thing with a fringe of excess stuff, I feel like. Yeah. You can just pay for what you want. Exactly. Yeah. Like if you like Futurama, Netflix pulled that off. So I bet you are on Hulu now, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. Right. But the question is, yeah, why would they want to stay, to not be a conglomerate right now? Exactly. Or down the road. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, hmm. Anyway, I guess we can just have to, like, that. I guess we'll just have to see. <laughs> I guess we can just wait and see. Oh, shit. Self-driving we'll lifts. Wait and see. That's kind of scary. I know. And yet not. I feel like I trust a computer to be a better driver than anybody. I saw this really cool thing on Reddit the other day about, of course, I say this once per podcast, if not 10 times, about the new Tesla models and how they won't roll over. The battery on the bottom of the car is so heavy that literally if they were to like gain enough momentum to flip over, they get like halfway, it's crazy. And then they just tilt right back over onto their wheels. Wow. So lots of crazy things happening with cars these days, man. That is crazy. Yeah. You also have something on our list. We always make a list, by the way, of topics we want to talk about. Because as rambly as we get, it would just be bad if we had no direction. It's true. But also I, I just like turned my screen down a bit ago because I realized that if I'm staring at it, then all I want to do is just hop around the topics and I don't actually think about what I want to say about them. So Hmm. it's a double edged sword. It is. So get us back on track. You can look at the list and I won't. Okay. (laughs) You made a note about a 10 year challenge on Facebook. Is it a Facebook scam? What is this? I'm I'm. I have no idea what's going on. Um, People are making jokes, essentially, that the FBI or, you know, some government agency was in need of updating their facial recognition software for people. And this just basically gave them the ability to funnel and crowdsource that through a social media platform and have Facebook do it for them in the form of a 10 date of a 10 year challenge. Okay, And so now they they don't have to go like mine that data right it's, Facebook we, did that. like Facebook was like check out this challenge which 
is hilarious because I don't remember who I was just talking to about this the other day when I was in Calgary, but he was like, oh, I think it was Defunk. He's like, I don't know why we're calling them challenges. Nothing about it is challenging. It's just posting two pictures of you. It's not a challenge. Like the ice bucket challenge, that was a challenge. People are calling the most stupid challenge. Oh, I see what you're saying. Challenge. I just thought you were saying that Facebook was created by the FBI and wow, to help no, develop that's their... very conspiratist and yeah, alarmist. I was going to say that's Pat. giving that's giving the FBI too much credit. No, they're just people are joking and insinuating that know, get, the ten year challenge saying. wasn't just some fun thing where you get to see how much older or better you yeah, got. It's I see what more you're of a thing that Facebook now has taken all that data and is able to predict how we're going to look in ten years, which is really freaking creepy and do. Nine million other things with it. Mm, that is interesting. And I don't have think... a facial like identification for sure of all of us, of even us 10 years ago. I got gotcha. you. creepy. I think I deleted all my photos from back then because I was trying to get a job out of college. I had to go onto my MySpace to do it. Really? And I wish, I guess I don't really give a shit, but I wish I'd read that article, I guess, before I posted it. Now they're going to get you. I guess so. All right, well... Should we just uh, go right into this interview here with with one of the coolest people we've met yeah. in a while? Yeah. The nicest person we've met in a hot minute. For sure. Um, we're going to go to the interview now with our good homie, Jesse Breda. That is how you say it. It's not Breedy. It's not Breed. It's <laughs> Breda. Jesse Breda. And he's a DJ. Just kidding. He's very part-time <laughs> DJ. He does like nine million things. He's a multi-hyphenate oh, artist, DJ, manager, Quadruple agent. threat. Yeah. You'll so this is Jesse Breda from Pivotal Agency, which I am signed to, and who started Gravitas Recordings. Our first guest tonight is introducing special guest. Let's do this. You're listening to Green Room Podcast. This is Jesse Breda with Gravitas Recordings, and you're listening to the Green Room Podcast. today. His name is Jesse Breda. He works with Gravitas Recordings. He works with our agency Pivotal and he does so much more and we'll just kind of let him introduce himself. Hey, nice to to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks man. I appreciate it. For sure. For sure. And uh, yeah, thanks for the introduction. I do do a lot. Um, 
I have three companies that I founded and run. I have a digital web design and media agency called Lionshare Digital. And we work with, you know, big brands like Keller Williams and Kuka Robotics. But we also work with artists, people like Justin Beretta from the Glitch Mob and music festivals like Summer Meltdown. And it's really there to, you know, help people get their brands out there. And we, so our main focus is design and then building WordPress websites for people. And then I also founded uh, Gravitas Recordings in 2011 with John Bertram, Symbionic. And then from that, we, as some of our artists started getting traction, uh, we started Pivotal Agency, which is, uh, I'm a co-founder with Cole Jones. And so Cole Jones is you guys agent and manager and yeah so it's it's quite a journey it's it's you know i do a lot uh, but i love it it's a, a dream come true and i've been able to work with some amazing people since we started all this and yeah and it's just it's cool to i want to you know come here today and just share some of my knowledge and and just shoot the shoot the shit with you guys Awesome. I think most people, so most people would probably know, or like people that are listening to this would probably be most familiarized with the stuff that Jesse's involved with. When you think of people like John Bertram, like he was talking about Mm -hmm. symbionic and um, like closey. Right. And now they're, you guys are doing some releases with some other people that are getting on some uh, showdowns tour, closey's tour, uh, Volo. You guys have signed true feels too. So anyway, that's just like some stuff that our listeners would probably have like hands-on experience with that you are directly involved with. Totally. Um, yeah. With- do you want to talk a little bit about how you started working with like uh, John and Chloe? Sure. Yeah. I, I went to Burning Man in 2007 and I had been a DJ since about 1998. And Dang. I, yeah, I'm, I'm 38 right now. So I just, I'm dating myself there, but I, I had been playing house music and sort of been in the awesome music, nice. music scene for a really long time. And I started to sort of lose my love for electronic music and the scene in general. And 2006, 2007, dubstep started to come across America. And when I went to Burning Man, I saw people like Adam Freeland, Anasia, uh, the Glitch Mob, and Bass Nectar play at you know, at Burning Man, it really just changed my life and showed open up a whole new world of what I thought was possible in events and music and, and styles. And from that, it kind of set me on the path to starting Gravitas, where I was seeing all of these artists, you know, not really having representation or not really having someone on, on their back to help them push their music. And everybody's kind of trying to self-promote. And I really came from, a, you know, having lived in a co-op uh, in college that like, let's work together. The sum of our parts is, is greater than, you know, us all working alone kind of, kind of idea mentality. And so I started Gravitas in 2011. We put out uh, an initial release with this, with this guy named Cryptex and that release did really well. And about the same time, my relationship with John was really developing. And, you know, he, he had a lot of, of knowledge and in, in PR and releasing music. And I sort of have a background in technology and digital marketing. And so we kind of came together and, and put, put together a plan and launched Gravitas. One of the first big things that we did was put together a charity compilation to raise money for Charity Water. And 
through that, because it was a, a charity compilation, you know, we reached up to a, a lot of artists that, you know, we probably wouldn't have had access to otherwise people like grammatic and edit from the glitch mob and, and Craddy and, and a whole bunch of, of really talented people. And, and, you know, so in some cases they let us use tracks that were already out there. And one of the tracks that we put out was from Mr. Bill and it was called Chia. And that seemed to be sort of a fan favorite from that compilation. So the next thing we did was to put together a remix competition for that song. And out of that, the winners were first place was Haywire and second place was Closey. And so that was the Crazy. that was our discovery of Closey in 2012. And we just finished, you know, so I, I co-managed Closey with Cole Jones through Pivotal. And we just finished putting on, helping her put on her evasion tour, which was like 42 dates across the United States, you know, carry production, lasers, tour manager, you know, lighting, lighting person, the whole nine, you know, a real, a real full on tour. And so as I was doing some of the marketing for that tour, I was testing some, some messaging uh, capabilities from Facebook. So you would sign up through uh, to get, you know, a notification when her album went live and Facebook Messenger would then give permission to like send from her page to your you know Facebook account, and so I was testing that on myself, and I saw that the first message, the first and only message I had ever messaged to her Facebook page, was "Hey, this is Jesse from Gravitas Recordings. You won the Mr. Bill Remix contest," and her and I were just looking at that like we're sitting in 2018, putting on this you know arguably the one of the biggest tours or things that I've been a part of, and certainly for her, like her, you know, her first big album and all that, looking back in time to 2012 going, whoa, like what a journey we've had and all the things that have had to happen to for this moment to, to come to pass and all the things that have to go right and the dedication and just every day waking up and being like, this is what we're up to. So that's, that's so sick. <laughs> yeah. That's a what That's why I had no idea how you guys had um, met. I'd never asked Cole that. So that's really cool. Yeah. Well, to go back to symbionic, like he's such a critical part of the story and such a, a him and I are very different in nature. Like I'm kind of a, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm messy, but I'm a starter and I, I kind of like throw it out ideas and I get kind of crazy and I'll, I'll start something as you can hear. And then I really need people to balance me out with, attention to detail and focus and, you know, kind of going back and, and, and refining and revising things. And John is like a, an amazing partner for me because he's got amazing attention to detail. He's got one of the best ears for mixing and mastering that I've ever come across personally. And, and his mixing and mastering is, is top notch. And then when I first started the label, it was just me. And then he came on and was kind of balanced me out where we started saying like, okay, like, we get a 50 50 vote on what we put out and that, that process and that, that partnership really changed the course of what Gravitas was, where are the consistent uh, quality of the music and the artists and the people that we were working with, the, the artwork, the mastering, he's a huge, I mean, I give him a ton of credit for being able to bring that to the table and really push me to, to do better work. And, and, and on the same side as like, you know, I push him to, to kind of, let go of things sometimes and, 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 you know, what, what I call from the technology world ship something like it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to let go and, and go and, and put it out in the world and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a tough skill. I think for a lot of people to grasp, especially 
we interview a lot of musicians and creators, and I think that's that's one of the hardest things to overcome is for being able to people to uh, ship it, as you say, because you could sit there and tweak and fiddle and revise forever, forever. Yep. Yeah. Totally. So going back just a little bit, how did you meet John? How did you get linked up with Symbionic? When you Were you looking for a business partner or did you kind of just know him from the scene? This is a cool story. So we were both on a forum, again, dating myself, uh, called the Glitch Hop Forum. And that was run by Ilisha and a number of other people. Dude, I was just with Elle this weekend. <laughs> I know, nice. I know. And she's a critical mm-hmm. part of our story, too. I love her so much. She's such an amazing person. And she's she is. She really is a, a centerpiece and, you know, in this scene of, of having connected so many people and having, no, you know, she's done so much with her career. I'm so I'm so proud of her. And so we we were on this forum, and I was sharing some of the music that we were that I was into. And like I said, I met this this at the time he was like 17 years old. His name was Cryptex, and he was he was putting out, you know, just uploading random demos through SoundCloud to to the forum, and I would download them, and then I booked Panty Raid to play in Austin, and at the same time, Disco Donnie Presents booked. Skrillex, as Skrillex was coming to be script known as Skrillex, like nobody had mm-hmm. seen him before, and they right. sold out that show in a matter of days, and so they moved it from a, like an 800 person venue to a 3200 person venue. Wow! At which point they told us, like, "Hey, your Penny Raid show is going to be demolished. Like nobody's going to come." So Disco, right. Don- I had a relationship with Disco Donnie. Disco Donnie brought us into the fold where I opened the show and then another uh, Austin DJ played and then Panty Raid played and then Skrillex played. And so that that was a moment, actually Skrillex talked about that in the Rolling Stones as the moment where he realized, holy cow, like I'm, I'm, on, I'm on fire. Like this thing is going crazy. He, had, he didn't even know how to DJ at that point. He was just using Ableton and a trigger finger to just go from one track to another. Really? Wow. So I recorded that set and I played a couple of Cryptic's tracks I posted it back to the Glitch Hop forum. Cryptex, his name is Tyler, was like, oh my God, this is the most insane thing. You played my songs at something like this. And from there, we we released that uh, that album. And so at the same time, like John was on the forum, kind of we were interacting and he lived in, he lived in Arkansas. Eventually he moved to Austin and started putting on his events and playing weeklies and we just connected. And I just really saw that he was, really dedicated, really professional. He showed up on time. He took, you know, he was a good DJ, had great taste in music and just the relationship grew from there. That's really cool. And that was like around, was that 2010, 2011? Okay. So did you, when you started the label, did, were you guys both starting it at the same time or did he kind of jump on a little bit? No, like we were friends and we were, we were both DJs on the Austin scene and we were, you know, kind of connecting on a business level and a music level, like seeing that we were both doing cool stuff. And then I started the label and I would, I was having conversations with him, kind of bringing him into the fold of saying, Hey, I think this is something that, you know, you could benefit from. Why don't you join up with us? Why don't you be a part of that? And eventually he, he did. And then as things progressed, he just took on a bigger and bigger leadership role. And then for me, it was, again, I was working a full-time job at that time. I was like, I cannot do all this. Like, help me with it. Let's, you know, bring some structure. And so mm-hmm. I went to UT, uh, University of Texas in Austin for computer science and had worked in technology and worked in online marketing. And so 
I sort of treated Gravitas like it was a startup by putting right. in places like project management software and, and deadlines and all of these other things. And I think that really helped to, he saw that I was taking it really seriously and wanted to do something with it. So when he got involved, like we kind of just, the things just snowballed from there. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome, dude. I think that project management software and that being like, so on top of it, business wise, when you treat it like a full-time job like that, I think it can really, I mean, that that's, that's the move you, we talked briefly before we started how you'd like to kind of share some tips and tricks that might help people who are listening to this. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a huge one because even for the podcast, like Megan kind of brought that in, we use um, Asana and I think anybody out there who's looking for a good free software to use uh, Asana's really great option. And I found Asana because Pivotal. You found it through Pivotal. Yeah. yeah everything that Pivotal yeah. would do was through Asana. And then it was such, such a shit show trying to like keep like four different spreadsheets for between me and Pat for, for this podcast to see who we reached out to, who we want to reach out to exactly like what time things are being scheduled and when they're coming out and where the artwork is put and blah, blah, blah. And Asana yeah. was just like a godsend. It just makes yeah, everything perfect. so flawless. Yeah. So, I don't know if that was you, but thanks. Yeah, I mean that's something that Cole and I, yeah, Cole and I have been, you know, he's huge with process, and and again, Cole is an amazing partner. Same kind of thing for me as like, he he, ba- you know, we balance each other out, and and having a partnership like that for me is like a that that's one tip and trick I can share is like trying to do everything alone is almost impossible in this day and age. If you're trying to do something that's going to show up on people's radar and have some some you know viability and success working with people, building a team and, and knowing your roles and really understanding what you're trying to do. And then backing, backing out from that is really like knowing yourself, knowing what type of personality you have, and then setting goals, setting intentions. And then not only that, but breaking down those goals and those intentions into actionable steps. And like you're saying, when you, you know, okay, like we're going to do, this is what we want to do for 2019, or this is what, you know, we want to do with the podcast, breaking that down into, you know, sub sub goals or that are along the path to getting to that bigger goal and making them you know, actionable and measurable. Like, you know, Hey, we want to release 10 podcasts this year. Well then you would need to go work backwards from that. These are, we would need to be releasing one every, you know, five weeks or whatever. And then in order to have each one of those happen, we got to do this. So hey, that's something right that now. we've been sorry, able sorry. to really put together both inside of Gravitas and Pivotal that, it, it brings a lot of clarity to what you're trying to do, no matter what you're trying to do. If you can break it down into those smaller actionable steps, then you know what you can do this hour, this day, this month. I think that's so hard for some art, some artists that are newer to things um, yeah. because part of the appeal of being an artist is like the instant gratification of making a, well, I mean like when you start, part of the appeal of it is that you make something and people admire that and you feel like, you know, you feel purpose, you feel good, whatever. But like over time <clears throat> with these things that we're talking about, like using a sauna to schedule out releases, for example, that seems like really daunting for a lot of artists. I feel like because people have this inclination to just put material out so quickly mm-hmm. and they have like no patience. I mean, people are astonished sometimes that I'll be sitting on a, a track for like eight months. Yeah. And like, well, how have you not put this out yet? It's, aren't you going crazy? It's like, honestly, I've pretty much forgotten about it by now, by now. Um, because that's just how I've like had to be, you know, how to, had to learn yeah. to mm-hmm. think of them as not as, you know, like 
I don't know. You can't expect everything you put out to be the next big thing or whatever. And I try not to think of things that way. And that helps me be able to just like keep creating and <coughs> put stuff into Asana and like schedule out things that are, you know what I mean? Like really work through yep. stuff, through all the things that I make as important as, you know, like treat them as important as they are yep. um, instead of just throwing them out and throwing them at the wall and hoping that they stick. There's so much that goes into it, and I find that a lot of artists who are putting out good material aren't spending the time making promotional campaigns or doing any promotion at all. They just throw it out there. So I guess that's another thing that I just wanted to add onto it. You know, the the project management software is fantastic for learning how to plan out these releases and not just be, oh my god, I finished this song, I love it, let me put it out right now. Right. Yeah. Right. I would it's I would follow up what you're bit. saying is like two two things. One is to know where you are in this in the stage of your artist development. So if you're in the early stages, really your only job is to just get good at your craft and don't worry about promoting yourself just yet. Just work on your work on your songwriting, work on your creation, whatever it is you're trying to do. If you're, if you're making music, just write as many songs as you can and finish them and build that momentum and learn that muscle memory of what it's like to finish something. The mm-hmm. more songs you finish, the better you're going to get. And and then once you kind of get in a place where you're making music that, that <clears throat> feels good to you and then you're getting some you know good reactions from people, then you can start to learn the process of what it's like to release music. And what I always tell people for that is, and, and the music industry is absolutely changing where I think, people are going away from albums and even EPs and there's uh, the, the, it seems like the strategy now is to release singles consistently, even for bigger name artists. But what, you know, before that, that movement has kind of taken shape, I would tell someone to, again, in this, in their, in the growth of their career, as they start to release music, just focus on releasing singles and earn your credibility and earn your listeners attention and so if you're trying to put out an EP or an album, you have to earn that from people. Like it's an attention economy where people are like presented with so much as a musician, as an entertainer, as a creator, you're competing with video games, TV, you know, books, yeah. just you, a lot of noise, everything, out there. anything that's entertaining, yeah. anything, social media. So you have to know that that's what you're competing with. So if you're doing things in a way that are, you know, is pretty easy for people to consume and then you earn it and earn it again and earn it again in consistent quality again and again, then that's where you can work towards releasing EPs and albums and bigger bodies of work that take more energy for people to digest and understand. So yeah, yeah. you said that the other day when we were talking actually, and it made sense to me when you said that like, you know, people like, it's not a good move to put out an EP or an LP just right off the bat. It's like people don't know who you are, what you're doing yet. They don't, they're not going to spend that, amount of time on you right off the bat and that's that's a great way to put it like using the word earn i i love that because it i think it really just hammers home the point i mean you could sit and try to explain that to people but that to me just kind of really resonates because exactly like you just kind of touched on in this particular market right now it's so hard to get people to pay attention because there are so many options for people to uh you know to go towards, whether it be video games or, you know, Netflix, Hulu, yeah. whatever, any, any medium across any medium, there's any form of entertainment that people could choose yep. to spend their time on. And especially now, like if you went back like 20 years before this kind of digital streaming revolution happened, 
it was like a band coming out and doing like a 15 track album. You never heard of these guys. And then they're trying to charge you $15 for their CD at a show. And it's like, well, why would I do that when there's so many more legit, you know, people out there that I could just go to Best Buy and buy that. But like, that's kind of a modernized thing instead of like earning dollars from people's pockets at shows, you now have to compete for their intention. Yeah. And I, I think the way that you phrase that with the earn um, word is that just really is an awesome way to put it. And I would say to that point, the biggest advantage or opportunity there is, is to truly be creative, be creative inside of your delivery of the music and the, your story. And that's something that I've been focused on a lot with Gravitas and with the artists that I work with, like Closey and Beats Antique and, Mm-hmm. And, and so on is there, there really does, it does, I guess it doesn't have to be, but it works better when there's a story behind the creation of the music behind the art. And, and it can be very simple. It doesn't have to be something that's like, I'm not, you know, it is so literal of like, what is the story? Well, this, this, right. this happened and then this happened, but what's the premise of the, of, of the music or, or the song and, and having something attached to that and, and where the, the artwork the visual artwork and the music are correlated. Yeah. Um, to tell a cool story, I, mean, I was just hanging out with Justin Beretta from the glitch mob yesterday. We went and talked to Keeling middle school and in Austin and he talked, you know, he talked to the, these kids and, and one of the kids asked this question, like, how do you make your music not cheesy? And so <laughs> Justin question. did a great job. Cause he was like, well, what's cheesy. And, and he made them define that because you know, and they, and they sort of said, well, it's like formulaic or it's like, sounds like everybody else. And and so we kind of got to the root of the issue. Well, these are and, smart kids. Yeah. Really cool, man. It was really cool. And so I followed that up with what I think the, why I think the glitch mob have done so well is that when they, when they deliver their songs and their albums, there's always this, and they don't, they usually don't actually explain the story, but they'll, there's this, there's a deeper meaning and some, and the visuals and the, and the album really connect with this like story and there's something mm-hmm. happening there. And so for me, that's really engaging and really powerful. And so, and then I kind of look back in time as I was having, you know, a couple years ago when I was really having this realization, I like thought about the albums and the music and the artists that have impacted me the most. And those are the ones that have really stuck out and stood the test of time. People like tool, again, there's no, there's no literal story, but there's, just a lot there to dig into. And so that creativity is the power. I mean, that's, so it's, it's like a cohe- cohesion uh, yeah. within the project. More so or again, less. kind of going back to those early stages of your artist career, if you're, if you're just getting started, you know, focus on finding your voice, focus on finding who you are inside of your music, inside of your sound and defining that and really peeling back the layers and getting, you know, really in touch with what you're trying to say musically, artistically, and being authentic to yourself. And, and that to me is like the, the, the most powerful thing is people, when they see that, they can feel it, you know, kind of looking at Closey as an example, like her music and her, her art and her, and her, when you see her, when you talk to her, they're all so connected and real and, and, and honest. And that's people are, can't help but be attracted to that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Hey, let's, uh, let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, when Gravitas was first starting up, I mean, you mentioned you did like the the charity compilation and that Mr. Bill track yeah. was the one that kind of popped off and seemed to be the fan favorite. Is that what 
you think really kind of kickstarted Gravitas as a label? Yeah, I mean, that was a that was a big moment that put us on the map for a lot of artists. I think it showed, you know, we were reaching out to people like, you know, grammatics management and, and edit from the glitch mobs management with a cohesive marketing plan and a, and a, and that we were going to be donating this amount of money. And these were our goals. And, and it just I think it showed people that we were really serious. Yeah. And then when we when we rolled it out, I mean, the artwork looked good and obviously we were getting to work with all of those artists. So that was a big moment. And then following it up with that remix competition where Hairwire and Closey, you know, won. And then we had like, you know, I think we had like six, I want to say 600 or 300 entries. I mean, that's a good amount, especially back then. And yeah, just, it, it was for us, it was funny. Cause I, I'll say it was a pivotal moment where we believe <laughs> we started to really believe in ourselves. And that yeah. was, that was the, that was the changing point for us. I don't honestly, I, I know that, you know, our brand and people were, you know, liking us on Facebook and all this stuff. But for us, we were so excited to, to jump into the next project and the next project and continue to release music with people because we felt, we really felt like we were doing mm -hmm. what we had set out to do. And that there, as long as we worked hard and we kept focus on, on that vision, Good, more good things were going to happen for sure so after that compilation and forgive me i don't know much about the history of gravitas back then but who were some of the first key artist signings that that you guys had in the beginning there sure yeah it's it's been a journey absolutely so right after that compilation we we helped i i kind of came upon at the time he called himself wonder years and that ended he ended up becoming marvel years we put out some of his music i um, love i love his music so much we released of the trees first ep we released zebler and conti's first eps or album we were we released the digital connection who's not kind of making a ton of music now but he's definitely put out a lot a group called aligning minds who in the sort of psychedelic bass world and breakbeat world they've they've stood the test of time we released wolfie wolf's first cp or not his first but you know sort of a big one then we worked with alicia mm -hmm. <clears throat> then we worked with a guy named dvs who has now yep. changed his name cloud cord cloud cord yeah then we we're gonna have him on pretty soon on the, awesome. on the podcast yeah. derek's amazing he is so funny and i love i mean i just love him to death then we worked with somatos who's kind of a key person in the in the sci-base world of you know kind of in that world of like tipper and, and all of that. I mean, mm -hmm. and we actually helped him decide on his name. Um, then let's see, we put out a, an, an EP from the originals who they are no longer together, but Proco who, you know, if you follow kind of like the space Jesus and, and, and world that, you know, Proco has been out there with bleep boop and all, and all of those guys. For sure. Yeah. He does a um, lot of uh, great YouTube tutorials too. Totally. Yeah. And then, and then we started working with a really cool, uh, uh, conference. It's called DEF CON. It's the largest hacker conference in the world. It's in Vegas every year. Yeah. And, yeah. And all of the money from those compilations. And I believe we put out four, go back to the EFF, which they advocate and fight for digital privacy and security and, and really online rights. Like you have a right to privacy online. 
Uh, and so we put out, again, we put out a track from Painting Rate on that, from Grammatic, uh, and BT let us use some music. So these were, you know, figureheads uh, that we were getting to work with on, on the regular and at the same time really growing our roster. So, you know, at the, at the time, like the key roster would be Symbionic, Alicia of the Trees, Wolfie Wolf. Then we put out Closey's first EP called The Poetic Assassin. And I think we started to see a glimpse of, of how unique and, and, and you know, special she was. Yeah, um, for sure. So, yeah. And then more, more Zebler and Conti experience. Um, another album from Alicia called Open Heart Surgery. We had a remix from Buku on that at one point. I was some of when he was first kind of getting started. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a, an EP with Percolator. So yeah, when we, I mean, I really feel like we've been able to work with a ton of people that have gone on to have like, you know, real, real active touring careers in, in the industry. And, you know, being a label is tough because especially in this day and age where I, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but like, you know, it, people have a lot of options to self-release or go with this, that or other labels. So it's mm-hmm. competitive in that you release with someone and you hope they'll come back. So I think when you look at our catalog, you can see that we've released, you know, multiple EPs from Of The Tree, from Wolfie Wolf, from Symbiotic, from people like uh, this guy AMB, and and that they've been happy to come back to, and work with us again and again because they know we treat them fairly, that we pay our, our royalties on time and, and that we're honest and and mm-hmm. we live, you know, we, we really, the, the idea of Gravitas was always about, you know, integrity and, and doing what's right. And then from a, a musical standpoint, we're really not interested in sort of chasing genres or specific sounds. It's sort of always been in the, in the bass world, but mm-hmm. we're really sort of genre agnostic for the most part. If it sounds good, if it gets us excited, then we'll put it out. And we do have a, you know, we do have a, a range from probably down tempo to mid tempo music not a lot of four four house music but it's not that we don't like that it's just kind of where we developed our our audience and niche sure that's yeah that's great to hear especially in this day and age like if you're if you're going to be a label you have to offer something to the artist because like as you said a savvy artist can just do self-releases right and if they're if they're already past that point in their career growth where they're just you know not honing their craft they want to get out there they want to have a little bit more um, visibility on the internet and in the scene that uh, having a label handle like a lot of that stuff for you is just a godsend instead of being able to, instead of having to focus all your efforts on release schedules or artwork or this and that, even though a lot of, I think artists are very hands-on with a lot of their artwork and a lot of those decisions, it's nice to have somebody else uh, take a little bit of the weight off your shoulders. And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I look at the label as two things. Is one, we're a brand, and we've earned people's trust that we consistently mm-hmm. put out good music. And two, then there's sort of the, what I call like the back office or the back of the house where the organization and the relationships where we know people, we know artists, we know we can get your mixing and mastering done. We can do all sort of the the creative arts services, and then we work with Symphonic Distribution for Mm -hmm. releasing our music. And that's been a really great relationship. If you're, if you're an emerging artist or you're an emerging label, I I would absolutely recommend them for you and tell them that Jesse sent you and they'll uh, hopefully (laughs) welcome you with open arms. So we've really built a a really strong relationship with them. 
And so part of that now a new, you know, is what they call the DSPs, digital service providers, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Pandora, those people, those are DSPs. So having a relationship with DSPs, either through your music distributor or yourself as a label is really important. Most artists will, will typically never have a relationship with DSPs because it's sort of by, by design, that's a walled garden. They don't want you calling them going, Hey, put me at the top of this thing. They're like, right. Please no. But if you're a label and you're consistent and you show good numbers and, and they start to trust you, then you will get let in and sort of have a seat at, at some of the tables for that. So that's, that's another part of, um, and again, it's, it's really, where are you in a career? I would never discourage an artist from self-releasing. I would even say some of the first releases you should do as an artist would be self-releases because you learn the process, you learn the challenges, you learn the hurdles. And then when you go work with a label, you can actually understand what are they actually doing for you that where you, right. you may or may not be able to do that for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. The accessibility to be able to upload music onto all those platforms these days is like so ridiculously easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's unbelievable. Like, yeah. and it shocks me though, still that some, I think it's it's within certain genres that are more like DIY, I guess I would say. Like I used to be involved more in like the hip hop scene. And <clears throat> most of those people aren't even distributing their music at all. Yeah. Right. Um I, I would say like it's I'm like shocked if I see somebody's oh, I got this new thing out and it's on Spotify. Like you know, right. they, people aren't thinking that far ahead in that that mm. genre and I'm sure it carries across in other things as well or in other genres as well. I feel like like specifically electronic music people are generally more on top of that. But anyway, when I used to make stuff like when I was starting out, I would have had no idea how to get it onto more than one streaming platform. I Mm -hmm. barely figured out how to get it onto iTunes. And now just with CD Baby and... All that other yeah, crap. Yeah, all the there's all sorts of options out there. Yeah, yeah. but I second symphonic. that symphonic is the yeah. best ever. So well, yeah. that's what you've been that's what you've been using, Megan, for like and all of your releases since probably for like two years now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I've like had because of like publishing, I've had to log on and look at it. It's so it's so easy to use because I've used CD Baby before and a few other digital distributors, and Symphonic is just it's just it 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 just feels better using it, just using their web services it's just yeah there, there's a out. lot of like you said there's a lot of distributors and overall it it's become a commodity so the like you said megan the, the ability to upload music to dsps has pretty much been conquered there's no there's no real barrier to entry yeah. where distributors shine and they earn their percentage one the two things to look at when you're deciding is like basically customer service well three customer service functionality and then how much are they taking for those things? Mm-hmm. So if you go work with TuneCore or some of these uh, Orchard, <laughs> like they're going to be taking 20% or maybe 25% or 15% of like right off the gate. I mean, that's, a, that's off the top. So And they have an annual fee. Yeah. And then, so there's, yeah. there's some, it, 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 it's worth doing your homework of who you choose. There's a guy named Ari Herstand. Oh, I know Ari. He's from Minneapolis. Yeah, and he's one. He's amazing. He has a blog. He also has a book, and his book is "How to Make It in the New Bu- New Music Business: Practical Tips." So hopefully, wherever we put this, maybe send people a link to that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a playbook. I mean, if you're if you're an artist and you're trying to get started and you don't have you know you don't have management, you don't have a booking agent, and you're trying to do all this stuff on yourself, 
he walks you through every step of the process of being a music, how to release your music, how to get started touring, how to like work deals so that maybe you can get start to travel. I mean, he's got a ton of tips. Absolutely. 100% recommend his book for, for all of that. I learned, I learned a ton from it. Is he still, is he still living out in LA? Yeah, I think he lives out in LA and he does, you know, he's, he's got his own artist career. And I think also still kind of really pushing the book, which seems to have done really well for him. I know he contributes often to this website that I used to, when I was, I used to work in the music industry and I used to read this website, digital music news every day. And he uh, was a regular contributor when I was reading that. I should, I should start reading that again regularly. He, he has an article on his website. It's called Ari's take.com and he'll walk you through and there's a, he's got a chart and he walks you through all of the different music distributors and what their pros and cons and so on. So, yeah. And there, I just wanted to add for people that are trying to put out their, put their music out, but it, you know, for certain distributors, you are paying to get certain services there are services that don't charge you. Like uh, you can go through Root Note, for example. I have friends that do that just because they can't afford mm-hmm. to pay somebody to help them out with it. So just a little side note for people that don't know where to start distributing your music or they don't, don't think they have the money to do it. You don't have to have money. Yeah, I like I like DistroKid for like straight up. Like if you're an independent artist, they've got a pretty good model. They do they do pretty good work. But but yeah, there's a big there's lots of differences between them. So. Let's fast forward here in time a little bit. That's it's pretty fascinating, man. Seven years or eight years, I guess now with uh, with the label and how it's grown. But how did how did Pivotal Agency and uh, Cole Jones? How did that all come into play? So Cole was at the first Gravitas meeting where I brought a bunch of people back to my house. I told them my vision for what it could look like, and I said, "Look, I'm trying to build this thing, and I want there to be really. I would love to create almost every." pillar of the music industry within this idea and and there's an opportunity for anybody that wants to work hard and get involved to have a seat at the table and that was like my pitch to to a ton of people and and just to give you an idea like there was a guy there at the time named kendall clark he went on to work in the in video and lighting world and now he just went on tour with the glitch mob and now he's going on tour with kiss and it's like I, i i i take I take a lot of pride in the fact that I, I, I empowered people to, to take what, you know, to believe in themselves and go and build something. And so Cole and I, we sat and for the first couple of years, it was just, you know, I, he had trouble kind of finding a place that made sense for him. He moved out to Hawaii as some of the artists, Closey, Symbionic, Somatos, Wolfie Wolf, some of these artists started to get booking inquiries we didn't really know how to handle that. They didn't have agents. And so I said, look, let's create an agency. Let's do some management. Let's do some booking. Cole really took the, you know, the bull by the horn, so to speak, and got serious with that. And he really, he really carved that out. There's a deeper story. We, we were called Tempora Talent. We had a third partner. Things didn't go well. But let's just fast forward it through that. We, we started a new business just to, for legal reasons and, as sort of a joke, but also awesome, called it Pivotal. And so Cole has been running that business since 2000, I believe, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. And as Closey's career has progressed, as as Symbionic's career has progressed, that really has turned into you know a legitimate management and booking agency. And he's 
he honestly is one of the hardest workers I know. And again, for, you know, a great business partner for me, because the places where I'm lacking, he's really strong in. And that's amazing. And then we've built a, we've built a really great team, Alex Koshi and Nicole and uh, my assistant and now, you know, uh, Alicia, they have, they are, I mean, they work so hard and they do so much to, to help our artists succeed. At, and it's amazing. And, and, and Holly as well. So just, I don't want to leave anybody out there. Mm-hmm. And so, so we've been really focused on building one, building the team and growing the roster and 2000, early 2000s or like late 2016, uh, just before 2017, I linked up with Elliot Dunwoody and we started working on Beats Antique projects. So that was a big deal to bring on someone, an artist of that stature onto the pivotal roster for management. And so the pivotal has just been evolving and growing and learning and, and, and it's been, it's been amazing to work with, you know, with, with Beats. Closey is a huge, you know, obviously a huge part of, of kind of the puzzle She's been opening up some some really great doors for us and for you know obviously for herself. So Cole and I are learning every day better ways to do things, and we're just honestly just students of the game, so to speak, of what's the best way to do this, that, and the other, and and really working to make sure that they're successful. So so yeah, Cole's Cole's uh, Cole's the real deal. I know you know he's very dedicated and he works extremely hard. So I give him, I give yeah. him a ton of credit. Let's give a shout out to everybody who works at Pivotal and involved with that, as you just mentioned too, because you guys do a really great job and you know what? Everybody's just so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Part of, I think part of that is that we're in Texas. Like my wife was talking about this recently and was like, these, some of her favorite clients at her job are from Texas. And I think in general, people in Texas are very nice. So, so maybe that's it, but I, I appreciate the love. And like I said, I mean, it's, it's, it's really about the team and the same thing goes to Gravitas. Like we've built a, a really solid team. And, and out of that, I, one thing I want to talk about was, is Gravitas create is how we've, we, we realized with Gravitas, there was not just music lovers, but there's so many people that want to make their own music. And, and as a label, we were struggling with how do we, how do we, work how do we service or how do we provide this to people and so out of that was born the idea of gravitas create which is more of like a mr bill's you know production and tutorials or ill methodology or producer dojo kind of model or warp academy where we're providing sample packs and tutorials and we've got a private facebook group and we put on these monthly production challenges and from that we've realized we really can like speak both to music fans and then also music creators. And that's been a huge deal for us. And so there's a whole team of people, Garrett, Nick, and Kaylee, and Alicia, and now, and now Trent, really running that, that process and that program. So let's say for if an artist released an EP with us, we would then take some stems or some presets or some samples or all of that and provide it to the Gravitas community to go and have some, either do a a production challenge where hey go make something with these these pieces or maybe we'll put a remix competition together and we found that that's been really cool because you know megan you guys can i was speak just gonna say <laughs> when you when you put out a song and you and then it's out in the world it's like what do you talk about a month later hey don't forget to go back and listen to my song well that's challenging for an artist to sort of 
remarket and, and have reasons to talk about that song newly. So what we found is by opening it up to the production community, mm-hmm. you know, a couple weeks or a month later, say, Hey, go check out, you know, go download some stems or go let, download some of these presets. And if you're a producer, like that's amazing. And if you can get someone to sit down with your stems or with your music that you've created, even though it's not the, the song playing like you envisioned, you cannot buy that kind of engagement for yourself. Like they're it's listening amazing. to your stems and going, whoa, look what she did here. Look what happened there. Like that's a really cool bass line. That's a really cool drum pattern. You're winning their their attention, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's a huge deal. And also they're getting to create, which is really for me, I'm so passionate about seeing people create their dreams and go after their dreams that any any little thing I can do to to put that in front of people and enable them to do that is like my sole purpose and mission. So And I mean like in addition to the fact that that's awesome to be able to like interact with an artist on that level. I mean, it can open doorways for you. If you were segueing into how you guys found me, I think yep. that was it. Yep. I remixed one of Chloe's songs for the Gravitas Create big sub pack collaboration contest thing. Yeah. And then I don't I even mean, know what happened really. I, honestly, I think Cole, Cole, no, I think you talked to me about it. I don't really know what happened. <laughs> And again, the, the creativity, right? So I, I think there were there were like 800 remixes, and and yours came in through the remix channel, and obviously we commissioned and, and worked with a bunch of known artists that we really liked. And when I heard that song, the fact that you took the time to add vocals and sort of tell your own story inside of that was so refreshing and so, you know, there were so many remixes that were just like, oh, they tweaked the baseline a little bit, or they changed the the you know the 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 drum pattern or they you know they they tweaked the melody and I was like pretty uninspired and 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 it was very safe you know and maybe that was had something to do with the song or whatnot but you really made that song your own while maintaining the original inside of it and that blew me away and not only that but to hear your vocals (laughs) all of that like I I was like Holy shit! This is great. <laughs> Which so. track was that for? The Closey remix, Dum Dum. Yeah, which one? you played a solo on. Yeah, that's what I was wondering yeah. if it was that one. Yeah. I don't know if it was. A, I don't know if it was one before that or if that was. I don't. I never I, know. What's well, going I mean, on. I, I knew of I knew of Megan, but that that solidified my, you know, what the guitar solo solidified. Yeah, I was, oh, yeah, yeah it was the guitar, that was definitely the guitar solo. Okay, sweet. Yeah, that's. I'm just here patting myself on the back. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely. So that's one of the strategies with Gravitas Create is I look at that as an as an A and R in baseball terms, like a farm league. Like I'm giving everybody an opportunity to go to that Facebook group, get involved in the production challenges. If those if those music that you're submitting is hot, like I'm listening to it. We're and so those that's better than just sending me a cold demo because you're part of our community and you're giving. You're, we ask people to like, you know, we have uh, you know music sharing threads, and so if you want people to to review your music and give you feedback, then you should go in and do the same. And so we're really trying to give that community the ability to like sustain itself and, and really work with each other. So you know, it's really weird because honestly, I have a huge aversion to remix contests, and prior <laughs> to the closey thing, I had a huge aversion to remix contests. In fact, I made that remix without the intention of submitting it to the remix contest. Wow. I just knew that, you know, everyone right now is listening to Chloe. <laughs> so I was like, okay, she's going to give out free stems. Awesome. You know, this would be a great opportunity for me to 
make like remix something of hers finally like I've always wanted to do actually get some good quality stems to be able to do it with and you know just like a good look I guess you know people are listening to her people would know Mm -hmm. that it's a remix of her when I play it live I don't know it just looked it sounded like a good move for me it sounded smart it sounded fun it was a combination of things that made me want to do it none of them were like in any way that I thought I would win or anything yeah I won in a different way but yeah (laughs) but yeah no it just definitely I I I'm very jaded when it comes to remix contests, when it comes to any sort of contest in the music industry. I guess we've not really ever talked about this, but I am so jaded. I don't want to sign up to be picked one out of five million people that want to play a set under a tent at Okeechobee. Like, I have a huge (laughs) aversion to wanting to submit yeah, but, my but stuff. But it's going to be a silent contest. disco and it's going to be at 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, you're, you're going to get no plus ones. Yeah, but and, your mom, and your mom can come. She can come, but she needs to buy a ticket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if they remember to put you on the list too, then maybe it'll be a smooth yeah, thing. Yeah, and after right. Friday, we only sell two-day tickets. No, right. um, And you got to bring your own sound system. Seriously. Yeah, camping not like, included. That is my opinion of music contest, like music rough. festival contests. I can't count how many people I've had that I just watched get taken utter advantage of because of some bullshit contest that they won. You're getting the short end of the stick people like 90% of the time. Um, So don't do it maybe to win. Uh, I would just like to put that in, do it for the experience, do it for the learning process, do it for yourself, not for the, what you're going to win by doing it. I don't know. I've never, ever had a good outcome going into something thinking, oh my God, I have to win this. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just never works. You know, I don't think you make your best material. I don't think it ever works out really how you wanted it to. It just like, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Do it for other reasons. Right. Yeah. I'd agree. Like anytime that you're trying to create with the end result in mind and you're trying to be like, okay, what would be the thing that would win this? Like, that's not being, yeah. So you said it's not being true to yourself. So yeah, I would, I would say that that's I would say for these creative, uh, for the production challenges, these are, these are born out of what team Supreme was doing where we give people, it's really the purpose of Gravitas create at that level is to get people completing music and, and, and putting in the work inside the studio to learn mm-hmm. their craft because there's no shortcuts yep, definitely. do it do it consistently and do it and learn how to finish and learn how to be to make quick decisions and trust your instincts in the studio instead of getting caught up in sound design or totally. drum programming like write the song then go back and finish this part or that part and shape it and sculpt it and and that was the biggest thing that we saw and i also say this as as we don't say this publicly so much but we were saw we really saw what was happening with Cymatics and a bunch of other production or you know sample companies where they're like the Jaws pack where they would spell Jaws's name different or the Skrillox pack and you were like mm-hmm. it was like they were they were jocking on people's names and they were just selling people these crazy high packs and they weren't really delivering value and I was just like I'm I'm going to do something different I'm going to provide value I'm going to provide coaching I'm going to provide community and we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna bring something to this scene that's not happening in a lot of ways. And I, I, I don't want to be too strong there, but I was like, I'm so s- sick of seeing this. I want to, I want to create something that's sort of the antithesis of that, uh, that I can, can also, and it was like really bolted on to what Gravitas was about. And that was, for me, it was really exciting. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's super cool. And yeah, just to clarify, I'm not saying don't 
try contests. Just right. don't do them thinking you're going to win every time because you're not. Right. Do it. Do it for. <laughs> do it for your do own it for personal other reasons. For yeah. personal growth totally. instead of yeah. instead of yeah. just trying to win. Yeah. I mean, yeah. tangentially, had I not submitted that closey remix, even everything aside, it's one of my most fun things to play live. It's one of I think my most well responded to things when I do play it live. I don't know. Just do it for your own self. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, uh, before we run out of time, I, yep. I want to ask you, I know you wanted to touch on, uh, is it Lions, Lions Den, you call it? or what? Lions, Lions Share Digital. Yeah, I, I hit on it. I mean, that's my web design agency. I mean, we, like I said, we work with all sorts of different companies, businesses. But the main focus there is really to be the, the design and the development resources, one, for Gravitas, two, for Pivotal, and other artists that we're working with. So, you know, we'll go build, like we'll build out Clothes' website or we'll build out Symbionic's website. And I mean, there, I have a long-term strategy with that. And that, that, that business opens doors for me in ways that being, you know, a label or a manager or, or an artist, you're sort of, sometimes you're knocking on the front door. Well, Lionshare will bring me, sometimes will bring me in the back door. Of, right of certain situations and certain certain opportunities that I normally wouldn't get. And it, it allows me to bring, this would be a, a kind of a tip and a trick of, of what I say is like, be able to provide value from people so that when you come to the table, you have things that you can offer them. And so Lionshare is one of those, I mean, it's, it's, it's a business. It makes a, a good amount of money every year, but that's also like something that I'll use when I'm coming to the table to work on a project for people. We like, uh, well, Lionshare Digital can do these things for this project, and that 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 helps me in a lot of different ways. And it's so you know most of what we see around music, and a lot of what we do is online digital marketing. So to have a company that's sort of dedicated to understanding what it's like to do you know Facebook marketing, to build websites, to do development, to set up a Shopify store, or a WooCommerce store, to build a a basic, you know, WordPress template website that works really well and doesn't, you know, turn into garbage after a year. Those are like things that for artists like Dirtwire, Beats Antique or Megan, they're like, cool. Like, I want that. I need that. That's like one part of the puzzle. So again, that was right. part of the strategy of right. Gravitas of like, that's a, that's a fundamental uh, like pillar of music at this point. You need a digital presence, whether it be social media or your website, you got to have a way to do right. that inside of that be creative and have fun and make a beautiful you know website that really tells represents your brand in a good way so for sure so uh like what do you guys what do you guys have that you're pretty excited for gravitas in 2019 uh we got symbionics album that comes out february 5th sweet and he is doing some really cool stuff with that he's got a it's uh, super dope it's all uh, over the place what's it called uh, a graphic novel so he's got a graphic novel that's coming with it and we're we're really loving uh, working with vinyl these days so he's got a, a colored vinyl that's coming out nice. sick we've got a comp uh, we've got uh, somatos has a new album we're gonna be doing a, a vinyl for that um, we're working with uh, an artist named little fish out of France he's awesome too he is awesome. He's amazing. We're, and that came to us through Closey, and he's a fan of ours. We're a fan of them. We're starting to break ground on a compilation where we're working in conjunction with Sohan and David Starfire. That's going to be a ways out. We're just kind of getting started there. We've got some music from Amp Live, who I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with him. But I love he's, Amp. He's the dopest. Yeah, Amp's, 
Amps made music with Bass Nectar. He used to be uh, the producer for Zion Eye. Uh, he, in his own right, is an amazing DJ and, and producer. Uh, he just well. made an EP with Deltron 3030. Yep. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Ooh. list of collaborations that he's done is amazing. Yeah. I've always been a huge personal fan. That's exciting. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, those are some of the ones where we, uh, on the Gravitas Create side, I think I can announce this now, but at the end of January, we are releasing a sample pack with uh, Ableton. And so, really? Kaylee. Yeah, this is big. That's so exciting. This has, been a, this has been a long project. This is like a year and a half in the making. So Kaylee Marks is one part of Baseline Drift. That's uh, uh, an, art, uh, an artist that we've released on Gravitas and we manage under Pivotal and do their bookings as well. And so Kaylee... He's traveled, such a sweetheart. <laughs> he's an ama- yeah, he's an amazing human being. He traveled to India. He booked three days in studios. We hired master musicians to play what they call raga mm-hmm. and they we've we recorded probably like what i think nine different traditional indian instruments and we brought that back we worked on it we worked on it we worked on it we worked on it we made a video for it we worked on it some more we got it dialed in we sent it to ableton they sat on it for a little while and then they came back and then we would love to release this on our platform so sweet for, uh, yeah for us you know to work with a brand at that level with gravitas create where we're, you know, we're small, we're, you know, we have no, you know, delusions of grandeur. We just want to kind of service our community and build it slow, but to work with them, that's going to be a big moment for, for us to really shine and, and show kind of what we're up to. And again, I think when it comes to tutorials or sample packs, like so much stuff has already been done. There's no reason to go make another kick pack or another, right. you know, tech house pack, like all that stuff's done. So yeah. when we're coming to create sample packs and things like that, we're really trying to get creative and deliver stuff that people haven't seen before. It's funny. And Cause so I was sorry to cut you off. Go no ahead. worries. Go, go, go. Uh, I was just talking to L uh, Alicia this weekend about this exact sort of thing. And I remember like being really inspired by, uh, I think color map of the sun when pretty lights yeah. put that out several years ago, they yeah. put out that documentary that went with it yep. and filmed yeah. them in, I think new Orleans, just recording a ton of, different instruments and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I was just like blown away by this and I've never even been like some culty pretty lights person, but yeah. <laughs> um, I was just fascinated by the idea of recording live horns. And that was probably one of my biggest influences. And I've never sampled a horn in my life. I've recorded every horn that you'll ever hear on any song I've ever made. If it's just awesome. me. Yeah. And then I, I mean, guitar for rhythm stuff. Yeah. I record Pat a ton. Everybody knows this. I just remember after I saw that color map of the sun documentary, I was like, oh my God, I want to make an EP where I record literally every single thing. Like I don't want to use one sample. And I was really stoked on this idea. And I was, I told a couple people and they, I don't think, I I think they didn't know much either. (laughs) They were like, that sounds really cool. And then I told somebody else and I remember them saying, so you're going to do the drums too? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to record everything. You know, I'm going to do, I'm going to make my own sample packs basically. And then I'm going to make an EP out of it. And they were like, why? (laughs) would you do that? And I, you know, I, I wanted to do it just for the sake of that. Everything is just, I don't know. It just felt felt very personal. I wanted to feel super personal and that I really did everything. They're like, well, somebody already recorded 30 kicks on a, you know, $100,000 Neumann mic. Why are you, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, that's so They're true. Right. I just like <laughs> yeah, shot I my They're horse, right. like right in the, you know, yeah. just killed my horse completely. Yep. I was like, okay, <laughs> that is stupid. Like I never have the, I don't have the resources or the money to be able to record drum samples. Like 
uh, like somebody else or like who Indi- does this professionally. Or Indian ragas or something like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so yeah, no, well, I, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's both. I really do. I mean, I, that's amazing that, that you took it to that level. I do think it's worth the beauty of like touching every piece and like bringing it all in. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a balance of like work harder not you know work smarter not harder like some pieces are are good to go like yeah. those things are you can use them but if you feel like that then do it so i, I don't exactly. know i would never want to discourage it i think that's and you know again that's one of the reasons why i love your music and your work ethic and the things that that you're creating because you do have the desire to like do to do it all the way and to do it right and to you know go in and record all your horns exactly how you want it it's so easy in that regard to take shortcuts or to resample someone else's bass or whatever, or even to kind of throw up a, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, a track in your DAW and kind of model your, your breaks or whatever. After that, there's so many ways to do that. And it's, it's, it's all good ways to learn, but eventually you got to dig into yourself and really find your thing, find your sound and your voice. And there is no formula for it. I remember I had, I was on this panel several years ago at um, this place here in Minneapolis. It's an electronic production school called Slam Academy. And um, I was on a, this production panel with ghost channels and um, mind control, which are both house producers. And I remember Will mind control said something that I won't ever forget. He said, (laughs) we were talking about EQ and we were talking about, you know, how people are taught to EQ things, et cetera. And how, you know, there's a typical EQ for every instrument, for a sax and for a tenor sax and for a guitar, you know, like there are your standard ish EQ that you're going to, that you can start with for all those things. But Will said something, said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, if it sounds good, do it. And I was just like, oh my God, that's really all that matters. You know, like if the arrangement sounds good, do it. It doesn't have to be Grizz's arrangement. It doesn't have to be, Chris Lorenzo's arrangement, you know, like right. it, if it sounds good, do it. If the EQ sounds good, do it. If the structure, the arrangement, you know, the sample, if it sounds good, do it. <laughs> That's yeah. all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, there are no rules, right? Uh, there's just, it's just list, trusting your ears and learning, learning to trust your intuition. Exactly. And, trust and really, yourself. Yeah. Cool. The process. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So we're going to be wrapping things up. I know you wanted to touch on some, you you did touch on some tips and tricks, Jesse, but if you had to pick three things to tell aspiring people in their, in their musical career careers, what would you, what would you tell them? Oh man. Um, (laughs) Number one. No, I love it. Thank you for asking this question. Let's clarify that this question is for artists that start sure. out and then can we answer it again for people that would be interested in management? Sure. Yeah, okay. sure. Right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, in general, the, both of these would apply to that is like, don't wait to get started, go and, and break ground on whatever idea, that thing that you're like, I, oh, one day I want to go and get started on that. Like just the sooner you, you put pen to paper and write down some of those ideas and just, get some of it flowing out of you into the physical world, like speaking to the action and telling people like, I really want to be a producer. Or I really want to be a manager. I really like things will start to shift. And there's a lot of, there's so much power in setting your intentions and putting that out in the world. Like mm-hmm. if somebody hears that, they might say something to you that triggers the next thought, the next building block that will be. So for me, that's been something that I've really learned a lot from of just like, like say like trusting myself to be like this is the next step for me your life is this book and I, I think of myself as like writing each chapter of my life and I think as I've gotten older I've started to see like okay I'm in this chapter and 
and and it helps me kind of let go of that idea or that of of my identity of who I was, you know, when I was really focused on DJing or who I was when I was really focused on this, you know, being a computer science student or whatever. And 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 so for a while, I would have trouble kind of letting that go. But mm-hmm. as I've kind of seen my life in these chapters, then when you're starting that new chapter in your life, you can kind of feel that time where you're in a new phase or a new moment, really sitting down and writing that down and getting honest with yourself and kind of reinventing who you are on, on the page. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big thing for me like that. And, and, and it helps to really create, call things into being. The second thing I would say is especially right now, because we live in social media war zone, one, just, limit your usage of that stuff one this is a huge thing for me right now screen time on the iphone saying i'm not going to spend more than 30 minutes a day on instagram facebook and social media in general and i'm only going to spend another 30 minutes on reddit at the max after that my phone tells me stop and i'm doing my best to be like cool that Mm -hmm. that in and inside of that and the reason for that is because we are seeing people present themselves at their highest and at their most you know, you know, I want to say manufactured, but it really is depending on who you follow and what you're into, like that can be the poison to your brain. Because when you sit down to write, you're going to be carrying like unconsciously or, or maybe consciously comparing yourself to those people. And that will stop you in your tracks. Totally I was does. kind of going back, for sure. going back to those remix contests and creating for a purpose. If you're really trying to be creative, you're really trying to get in the game and do something you got to work and focus and do the work that's in front of you and not be worrying about what somebody else, because really what's happening there is like you're, you're you or you, and then you're putting like a third you or a second you behind you. That's watching you do this thing. And then filtering that through what you think people might think of this thing that's happening. And that's so unconnected and away from the present moment. Mm-hmm. Totally. I can't count Absolutely. how many times I've been like mid creating a song and I'll check Facebook really quick. Throws I'll like, see yeah. somebody else releasing something. My mind immediately goes imposter syndrome and I'm like, you'll never make something that good. And then I'm just, it's killed. Yeah. So, so I'm really, rec- I try rec- to be off recognizing that, that pattern, like really, really recognizing those patterns inside of your head and being coming to terms with it and acknowledging it and knowing it. It's okay to, to, because part of it is cool to be connected to the world. Like I, I use a social media app called Marco Polo where I can send video chats direct to a group of friends. And it's a very close tight knit of friends that I've had for years. That's way different where I can actually see their son's birthday party or them going out and doing something that's way different than what am I going to post on Facebook or Twitter right, or Instagram yeah. to make myself look cool or look the part. I'm just more and more. I'm trying to disconnect from that stuff. It's hard when you're, when you're in this business to do that, because part of it is to put that stuff out there to remind people Mm -hmm. what you are. So I think there's a time and a place for that. Do you use a specific app for um, shutting your shit down? I know that I've seen that on uh, ironically on, on some of the Reddit things that I follow. (laughs) It's, it's built into the new iOS on iPhone. I don't, I don't know about Android, but you can go in and it's called screen time and you can say, I want to limit my amount of usage in, in these app categories, social media, uh, you know, online entertainment, reading, so on and so forth. And then for me, it's like, I would say the third one and the thing that really has had the biggest impact for me is a daily morning ritual as, uh, and inside of that is daily meditation mm-hmm. where I take time 
to get quiet and get real and listen to myself and like I'll maybe maybe be struggling with something or stressed about something and like letting those thoughts come up, acknowledging them and then letting them go. I'm able to come to my work or my desk and really attack them and work on them without so much emotional noise and intensity and, and, and like uh, just all the things that come along with that. So, so that daily meditation, and I also write in a journal every day where I write what I'm grateful for. And so when I write what I'm grateful for, it's really hard to be angry or mad at, at, at the world or feel like I'm deserved something. I start with the blessings that I have in my life. And when I do that, I, I just, it just changes the whole day for me because I'm, I'm thinking about, wow, I am so lucky to live in America, to have clean water, to have food, to have a roof over my head, to have a wife, to have friends, to have a team, to have the opportunity to help people create their dreams. And when I do that, I'm like awakened to, to the now, like, whoa, I, 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 this is what I'm about. And all of that other stuff that, that clouds us and, and kind of pulls me in where I feel where I want to defend myself or not be, be vulnerable to, to helping people or, or kind of, um, you know, being my best self for, for the world, it goes away. And then I'm like, wow, I make conscious choices about what I eat when I go to sleep, the words I use to people, all those things kind of cascade out of that. So, yeah, that's some great advice. And I, I think that translates well for, for anybody, whether it be artists or management or anybody just who is a fan listening. I think that's just some fantastic advice all around. Yeah, is, I, I think we're I think we're ready to kind of wrap this up. We like to kind of keep these around an hour. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, to bring up, Jesse? No, I just thanks for having me. You guys are great. I mean, I really you know I support you guys, and and I'm excited for this year to to see where the Megan and Hamilton project comes out. You know, there's there's some cool things in store for you. I I know it. So uh, thank you for having me. Thanks to anybody thanks, who Jesse. listened. If you want to email me, I'm jesse at gravitasrecordings.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or any of those things. Uh, but yeah, email's, email's best. So I'd love to connect with anybody out there if you have questions, and I'm here for you. Awesome. Thanks so right. much, Jesse. Thank you Appreciate so much. you. All right, guys. Have a good day. You too. Thanks, Jesse. Bye. Bye. Peace. All right. Thanks, Jesse. That was one of my favorite interviews that we've had in a while. Yeah, Actually, he's very knowledgeable. It's insane. Yeah. Anyway, Megan, what's yeah. new with you? I haven't talked to you since you got back from Canada. How was it? It was fun. I went to Calgary for three days to go play a show at Junction Bar and then to go join Logan, sing on stage with him the next night at the Hi-Fi Club, which was only a block from my hotel. And everything was super close. I stayed in downtown right by the 88 Olympic torch. Sweet. Yeah, at night it lights up like the Olympic flame. Sweet. Did yes. you go do... The bobsled? No, I didn't. And you know, I went there when I was like six years old and I remember being pissed off because my cousin Lacey got to do the bobsled luge thing. They do like a half. But I wasn't tall bobsled. enough. Yeah. It was insane to watch. I remember her going by though and being, again, jealous that she got to do it. But no, I didn't do that while I was there. They Next did just time. build a new library there though that apparently is really cool. I saw some cool pictures of it when I was hanging out with Concert Socks, whose name is Neil. Okay. He's a photographer that I saw... I mean, all over all the photos that our friends post when they play at Fractal Forest at Shambhala or any really West Canadian festivals at all. He does Fozzy Fest, and I've seen his name all over the Concert place. Concert socks, you said? Yeah. Cool. You can go look him up on like Instagram and stuff. But Neil is a really cool guy. 
shout out to Neil because he hung out with me the whole time that I was in Calgary, gave me a ride to the airport and everything. And we went to this place called Native Tongues Taqueria on uh, the day before Logan's show. Mm -hmm. And it was so good. Logan actually ended up joining us for a little while. I got some Serrano pepper margaritas that were delicious. Ooh, and they had the best five salsa, salsa tasting dish I've ever had really? in my life. It was fantastic. So if you ever go to Calgary, go check out Native Tongues Taqueria. It's really delicious and it's right in Sounds downtown. Good. Makes me hungry. Yeah, it was awesome. And then after I went back to the Hody for a little bit, then went out to meet Logan to go uh, sing Can't Buy Me and a new song that we just finished together called Over the Moon. And we played that live together for the first time and it was super fun. But I actually got altitude sickness Really? While I was there. Wow. And I didn't realize it till I was like on stage with Logan. And I, it, he had told me about 10, 15 minutes until the first song was going to come on that I needed to come and sing for. And I was standing next to his girlfriend and I started to feel just extremely overheated. Whoa. And she looked at me and she must have seen me looking like not feeling well. Cause she's mm -hmm. like, do you need to sit down? And I was like, Actually, yeah, because I was trying to not, I was trying yeah, to play it off. Trying to be cool about it. Yeah, and I yeah. didn't want to make a scene. I didn't want to act like I was some diva that needed attention because it's too hot in here. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I took my coat off and I went to go walk just to sit down in the green room in the back. And I was just not, my body temperature was not going down at all despite me taking my sweatshirt and my coat off. And I realized I needed to get outside, like into the 20 degree weather, like immediately, because mm -hmm. I don't did not know what was happening to me. And as I'm walking down the hallway, like the edges of my vision start to like vignette, like mm -hmm. it yeah. started to blur and get dark and my hands went numb. And that's really freaked me out. Whoa. And as soon as I got outside, I tried to look for anywhere to sit down and there really wasn't anywhere. And I sat just on this like nasty, muddy brown cement. And had, like, I almost collapsed. I would have fainted really? had I not sat down, like, at that exact moment. Damn. And then my vision was, like, completely gone by the time I sat down. And then kind of came back to me as I sat there and, like, did some deep breathing stuff. Wow. And I was just, it that's, was uh, that's exasperated. That's altitude sickness is? Uh, yeah, and I felt so nauseous. I thought I might throw up at any second. I didn't know. It was, Whoa. It was crazy. And... At the same time, extremely anxious because I know I'm. I need to be on stage in two seconds, and right. the show's sold out. And we've announced this on social media that I'm right. supposed to be doing this. Right. So, I was freaking out, and sat out there just in my t-shirt and joggers in the snow for like seven minutes, and then I don't know, convinced myself that I felt good enough to get back up and walk inside, and I did, and I went up and I did the song, and then I stood there, I decided to go back outside to give myself some fresh air afterwards, just so I kn knew that in 10 mi more minutes when the second song we were supposed to do came on, that I would be okay. Mm -hmm. But walking out the outside the second time, the same thing happened to me. Really? Yeah. Whoa. And I started to get lightheaded again. My vision started to get dark around the edges and everything. My hands started to go numb. It was crazy. I sat down wow. in the same spot as I had sat before. And that was when I really felt like I was sick. And then... I was like trying to push myself again like I had before. Okay, let's go. Let's try to get up. Let's get on stage. This is going to come on any second. And then I heard yeah. it come on and I felt horrible. Oh, man. It had happened so quickly. I didn't even have time to tell Logan that I wasn't going to be able to be up there. So he played the set list version. It uh -huh. came in without my vocals on it. I felt horrible. 
Oh, no. Yeah, and so I just, like, mustered up the energy to get up and go up on the stage and said sorry to him really quick and then just started singing and went with the song. But I think he swapped it out already by that point with the vocal version. Really? Yeah, it was a struggle bus. I just kept thinking, honestly, of Lady Gaga because <laughs> I saw this documentary called Who the Fuck is Art Fogel? And he's, like, this very prolific right, stage, stage design. Yeah, yeah, for, like, Sting and the Police and U2 yeah. and Metallica and blah, 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 and Lady Gaga. And there's this scene on that documentary where Lady Gaga is, like, walking up the side of this staircase on the side of this, you know, fake castle stage set thing. Mm -hmm. And she had the flu at the time. She's throwing up until she went on stage and then she continued to do so. She's walking up these stairs and she's she's singing. She's singing. She'll stop as soon as the line of the, the song is supposed to be done. You'll see her kind of dip to her right really quick. And you can, if you know what's happening, she's totally throws up, keeps walking up the stairs, keeps singing. As soon as she doesn't have to sing again, she throws up really quick and then keeps going and does this like three times as she's walking up these stairs. Really? Yeah. And I was That's just awesome. like... What a bad bitch. Yeah, I was like, if Lady cool. Gaga can walk up stairs while she's got the flu and she's legit throwing up in front of thousands of people, then I can get over it. Like, I can do this one little thing. Yeah. So thanks, Gogs, for the inspiration. But yeah, no, that was kind of rough. And then I honestly didn't feel good until about 24 hours afterward. Whoa. It was crazy. I felt... Maybe it was the tacos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was that five salsa combo no that was so good at walking home from the venue i stopped at this place called awesome kitchen which is was obviously awesome? a pizza shop owned by an indian man who lives in canada <laughs> <laughs> and was it pretty had, awesome though it was i had been told about this place someone okay. had said to me at some point when i was there on the weekend they hadn't pointed it out but they'd been like there's this place by the hotel you're at called awesome kitchen you got to go there They've got uh, chicken tandoori, like tandoori Ooh, chicken pizza. Yeah. Oh, awesome. That is and awesome. I was like, that does sound awesome. So I am just walking home from Hi-Fi Club and I literally see this hilarious sign in like an aerial font that says awesome kitchen with a phone <laughs> number underneath it. Sweet. <laughs> and I went in there and it was kind of interesting. The menu said like pepperoni, cheese, chicken tandoori, veggie, and ham and pineapple, which I found really interesting. Okay, we're in Canada, and we're calling this ham and pineapple pizza. It's Hawaiian pizza, right? Well, Canadi oh, Canadian Canada bacon. actually invented Hawaiian pizza. I knew this. And I've they heard started this calling it that, like, just to sell pizza with pineapple on it. Yeah. With Canadian bacon on it. But anyway, I thought it was ham funny that they didn't call it. Hawaiian pizza at this place. Crazy. Or Canadian pizza is what it should have been called. <laughs> Canadian pizza. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, Damn. it was good. I ate like three bites of it because I felt so sick and I was like kicking myself the next day that I didn't eat more of it because it was really good. But yeah, go to Awesome Kitchen too if you ever go to Calgary. Mm, it was I fun. I'm never disappointed by Canada. But also something that uh, I thought was really weird when we were there, the first thing I obviously wanted to do besides eat was go to a dispensary. Knowing, you know, that the whole nation is legal now. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So I think they're the second nation in the world to completely legalize. They were telling me that. Really? So Behind only Portugal? one other nation has fully legalized in the entire country. Portugal, probably, right? I don't know the answer to that. Because Portu Portugal. Nicaragua. Nicaragua? Wow. 
Anyway, so it was really interesting because my first question was, where do I get a distillate cartridge? That's really what I'd wanted. I brought my own battery with me so I wouldn't have to buy one Mm -hmm. and was just planning on buying like a half gram distillate cartridge that I could smoke in like three days and throw it away. Uruguay. Okay, we got a correction from the peanut gallery here. <laughs> it's a Uruguay. It's not Nicaragua. It's Uruguay. 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 is a gay. Uruguay. Uruguay. Oh, Uruguay. Okay, Uruguay. Uruguay. <laughs> anyway, so you you got anyway, the distillate cartridge? No, I didn't. What? They don't sell them there. Oh, is that le- illegal? So the first thing that I wanted when I got there was a distillate cartridge. We went to a place that said cannabis something something something, which by the way they have like no sensor for sensory for that kind of stuff. Like there's places all over that say like bongs and stuff. Really? Yeah, and like weed central. Like they just don't care there. Don't I mean, you can't even shit. say bong in a water shop or like you can't even say bong in a pipe shop here. It's a yeah. water pipe. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so I go into this dispensary thing, whatever it is. They have no concentrates at all, no distillates. Edibles aren't allowed yet in the country. And so they had like eight different kinds of weeds and stuff. I'm like, sweet weeds. I'm like, sweet, I got all the weeds here. <laughs> Let me get t- 10 weeds. No, I wanted a pre-roll. I wanted a couple pre-rolls. They didn't have pre-rolls in any of the strains that they had out for you to like look at actually. Mm-hmm. And two of the pre-rolls were 9% THC, which is like kind yeah. of meh. Yeah. It's like nothing. I mean, like averagely, I'd say that I see things in the States between... <clears throat> 17 and 22% averagely. I don't know. Then the other one that they had was one of those pure CBD strain joints. And then they had one joint that was 19%. I just thought it was interesting that they had three weird joints and only one normal joint. Like, Mm. how weird is it that someone came in and was like, I'd like to get high with normal weed and I'd like it pre-rolled. I guess I'm weird. Mm. Whatever. Anyway, anyway, their laws are still strange there, despite it being legal, which I found interesting because they're still kind of feeling around in the dark. Yeah, how to make it work? Yeah, yeah. Well, so. they're they're new to it. Anyway, all right. Last thing, you got a you got a new a, release, right? Yeah, I have a song coming out in a couple days here on Tuesday, the 29th. It's called Gravity. I actually made it a long time ago. Like I want to say almost, I think like March or something like that, but. Basically, I'd made it in my studio as one of those things where I would make just like a video of me recording it live. I wrote like the bass line and the guitar line on the spot and everything like that. And then Kish happened to come over and we laid a horn line on that. And then I happened to make a drop I was happy with on the first go, which is so rare. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. And awesome I posted kitchen. it online. Awesome kitchen. Awesome kitchen. And I posted it online and it was probably one of the most well-received live made beats I'd ever done. And a lot of people asking me to put it out as an actual track. So months later down the road, after talking to a lot of people about the finished track that I created off of that, a lot of people really dug it. And so we decided to release it so it's finally going to come out on Sweet. tuesday on the 29th yeah it's Did called you... gravity if i didn't say that already yeah gravity we're gonna play a little clip of it
sweet. That's awesome. Awesome kitchen. Awesome kitchen. Thank you. I'm excited. Did you guys uh, plan it to be on my birthday? A birthday present for me? Yes, I did. Happy birthday, Pat. Here's a song that you're not on. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, anyway, thank you, Jesse, for being tolerant of us today. And thank you for being tolerant of us listeners. We appreciate you. We'll see you next time on the Green Room Podcast. <laughs>